You've seen the movies. But you haven't read the comics? What? You think the comics are inaccessible? That's Steve Vinson. That's Paul Schultz. And we've got issues. I think anything worth reading is worth reading way more into than, than was intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe this is appropriate, maybe not. But I think the allegory to me is like the, at least the, and this book is a product of its time, right? <laughs> Definitely. Of course, but it is also timeless. And I, I think the idea is, you know, human beings are good. Um, individuals are good. Groups of individuals, like groups of people, are unthinking evil. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I think that one of the things I take from this is, who are the pirates in the story of the Watchmen? It certainly ain't the Watchmen. I think it's the trends and forces of government and society in general. It's a trend and it's a force that no matter what you do, you can't stop it. Yeah. It will do evil. Yeah. And all you can have is maybe levels of evil. Uh You can have something less evil than the other thing, right? Sort of like the hero in the the anti-hero or whatever in the Black Freighter, right? He's trying to either avoid evil or avenge evil or whatever, and in so doing, perpetuates evil. Yeah, it it goes back to the uh, staring into the abyss thing from the previous episode. (laughs) When we left uh, off on part one, Rorschach sitting in prison, and should we worry? Like, is it is it a we should worry about Rorschach because he's this short dude in prison, and he's made a lot of enemies over the years with these people who are sitting in prison, or is it more of a Breaking Bad situation <laughs> where Heisenberg goes, "I'm not in danger. I am the danger." <laughs> Obviously, Rorschach is the danger. <laughs> we find that out pretty quickly. Yeah, Rorschach hates fingers. The Silk Spectre and Night Owl decide that uh, they're going to do a little adventuring and then go bust Rorschach out of prison. And we soon discover <laughs> that uh, it's a who rescued who situation. <laughs> so so what ends up happening is the, there's a riot triggered at the prison and through all the chaos, Rorschach sort of busts his own way out. <laughs> he doesn't really need anybody to bust him out. He sort of starts to bust his own way out of prison in dramatic fashion. Um, the Night Owl and Silk Spectre do uh, get him out, and you and you sort of wonder a little bit why, because clearly Rorschach is kind of a dick, but he's you know it's the dick you know. <laughs> you know, one of the things in the movies and all the adaptations and just popular culture is like Rorschach is this sort of hero, sort of anti-hero that is the dirty hairy character, you know. If oh, yeah. only he, you know, he plays by his own rules, you know, and he's the one that'll keep us safe and if we would just listen to him and let him do his job, but you you find out he he's he's a fascist. I mean, he is <laughs> like he's anti-gay, he's anti-liberal, he's an, he's uh, we're all anti-commie cuz you know, we're all anti like, you know, 40 million dead Ukrainians, obviously. But he's like at a visceral level. If we, <laughs> that's the reason like he's out there doing what he does, is because he doesn't want the corrupt liberal government controlling him. The corrupt liberal government, by the way, that we're talking about is Nixon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, Nixon's too liberal for this guy, 
right? <laughs> Nixon's so too liberal for as, Rorschach. As great of a character as he is. <laughs> yeah, right? By the way, if any of you missed that backstory in part one, if we didn't hit it, hit it hard enough, Nixon's yeah. in like his third or fourth term. Somehow he gets the Constitution changed. Oh, thank God we don't have presidents these days <laughs> that talk about getting like more than two terms. <laughs> Before I get back to it, so I'll take a little bit of a tangent and, and talk a little bit about that backstory. What we end up finding out in part two uh, in these in these uh, issues is Nixon is in his, like, I don't know what it is, third or fourth term, because we're in the 80s. And Nixon is still the president. It's his fifth term. Fifth term, okay. And, you know, you might go, well, what about Watergate? And you go, you know what? Watergate never happened because the comedian <laughs> murdered <laughs> Woodward and Bernstein, the reporters who blew the lid off of Watergate. Now, we're sitting here in 2020, and uh, Bernstein, Bernstein's long, Bernstein died a while ago. Woodward's still alive. Mm-hmm. Woodward's still doing investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. Woodward is still calling out presidents of the United States. And Woodward, Woodward is the guy, I mean, he's one of the two guys that, that blew the lid off of Watergate and brought down President Nixon, right? Mm-hmm. He's still doing that. And he's still exposing corruption in at the highest levels, right? He's now, of course, being ridiculed by and made fun of by our president uh, now. But uh, in this alternate universe, uh, the comedian murdered him. <laughs> so Watergate never happened. So Nixon's still president. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Uh, you blacked out for a minute there. Yeah, blacked out for a second. So Night Owl and Silk Spectre go in and uh, bust Rorschach out of prison. Uh, so now the three of them are together at last. We all have a friend like Rorschach. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's general mayhem, right? Mm-hmm. Going on in the world. And uh, the, the cops are on strike. The, like, Night owls trying to figure out how to help, and Silk Specters trying to figure out how to help, and suddenly Doctor Manhattan <laughs> reappears. He decides, like he's just he's hanging out on Mars. He doesn't really care about the affairs of the world. Uh, it's not that he doesn't care. It's just like he just looks at it as it just doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It matters about as much as a fly landing on a table or not landing on a table. It's like who cares? Fly lives or dies. It doesn't really affect anything. But he he does seem to love Lori. So he decides to bring her to Mars to have a little chat. Here's the thing about Night Owl. Here you got a guy who second guesses everything he does, has various problems with, you know, with, you know, in, in the bedroom. He completely self he doubts himself with everything he does. But yet he has the cojones to try to move in on a god's ex-girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> i see it slightly differently which is he he's just kind of like can't believe that she likes him that too yeah and he, yeah. it doesn't even occur doesn't even occur to him that like she's a god's girlfriend he's just like oh well i mean <laughs> if if it were a problem she wouldn't be uh coming on to me like this <laughs> <laughs> though he does have that dream where the two of them are you know intimately involved and a nuclear weapon goes off <laughs> it's like that may be like eh, maybe this is a little too explosive <laughs> for me uh it's kind of funny when dr manhattan brings Lori to to mars forgets that she needs to breathe air and <laughs> it's like a you know arnold schwarzenegger in total recall moment <laughs> <laughs> he's just, 
He's just talking away, and she's on the ground. Not to die. So they have this whole long conversation about why should he care about Earth? Uh, Why should he care about human interactions when you know the universe doesn't care? You know this vast universe, and he's like, I see everything. I see the beginning, and the middle, and the end, and I know what happens. And she's like, Well, why even have this conversation? And he's like, Well, because that's how it happens. You know, I. He's like, you're going to be surprised by something in a, in a few minutes. And she's like, well, why even? And then he goes, I'm going to be surprised by something as well. I'm going to be surprised by finding out you're having an affair with Night Owl. And she's like, well, wait a minute. If you already know, why are you going to be surprised? And he's like, well, because I am. Because that's what happens. I end up being surprised. And I already know that. And then the conversation goes on. And sure enough, she accidentally reveals that she's sleeping with what's his name? And he's surprised by it. It's like, what? It's like when you have a conversation with your wife and a minute later you're like, wait, what What did I agree to do? What just happened? (laughs) But as they talk further, you know, I think what what causes him to start to care is he does start to care about her. And he has this sort of like, oh, I don't know what this is happening inside me, but suddenly I care about something, you know. And um, it causes him to sort of start to be concerned with the affairs of the of humanity. Yeah. But she's kind of like, well, but you already know what happens. I mean, what's changed? And he's like, well, there's some, I, it's fuzzy suddenly. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't really see certain events past a certain moment. So I don't really know exactly what happens. And I'm curious about that. <laughs> when he realizes the what a miracle really is and that humans are worth saving, that's, that's the turning point for him. Hmm. Um, so they do go back to Earth to try to figure out what's going on. Smash cut back to Earth. And so this is, you know, from this moment, if you haven't read the story and you want to experience it uh, without the spoilers, you're going to you're gonna have to, like, <laughs> I don't know, catch the rest, the last 10, 15 minutes of the show uh, <laughs> some other time. It took me reading the thing, like, four times to figure out what was going on. So <laughs> that's the beauty of it. So um, as Vandius, uh, Mr. Veet forget his first name what's his first name adrian smartest dude in the world uh took a look and you know if you're at all familiar with the popular culture and the images you know that the doomsday clock plays a big part in this and what we find out as we talked about in part one vietnam the u.s wins vietnam uh gets the u.s has dr manhattan it's no longer mutually assured destruction it's unilaterally assured destruction i mean we have dr manhattan (laughs) He could stop 98% of the nuclear weapons that, that the Soviet Union would send toward us. There's no way the Soviet Union would launch against the U.S., right? Yet still, something bad could happen, right? Like Dr. Manhattan could disappear. The Soviet Union could invade, invade Afghanistan. The U.S. society could disintegrate because the cops decide to go on strike. You know, any number of things could happen. So there's still this Armageddon hanging over our head. As long as these weapons exist, Armageddon still hangs over our head because we are still adversaries. So Veet gets this idea where it's similar to <laughs> when we talked, we talked in earlier, this whole idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend or the enemy of my friend is my enemy. I don't know what, what it is. That was during the X-Men God loves man kills episode because Magneto joins the X-Men. Oh, right. All right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Cause Magneto ended up helping his enemies. Right. That's it. All right. So Veet has this idea 
Ozymandias has this idea that if the nations of the world believed they were being attacked by a super powerful alien force, they would unite and help each other instead of being on the brink of war with each other, which sounds kind of familiar <laughs> and is pulled from popular cult, pulled from real history. Mm-hmm. As you'll remember from a previous, previous episode uh, from God loves man kills, um, you know, when Gorbachev and Reagan were uh, having a summit that wasn't going so well, you know, Reagan asked Gorbachev, what if aliens attacked us? And Gorbachev was like, yeah, we'd help. We'd help you guys because, you know, we're all humans after all. And so uh, Veet uses this idea to create this super powerful, you know, in air quotes, alien <laughs> to make it appear like he's attacking Earth. Only it gets really kind of complicated and I got lost a few times, but then I went back and reread it a few times. And I finally figured out that Veet went around and kidnapped all these super smart people to, you know, he kidnapped a psychic, stole his brain, mm-hmm. and then kidnapped a few other people to, like, build this super duper psychic force that would appear all powerful. Yes. And, he, and it couldn't just appear all powerful and be a threat. He actually had to use it in order to get the uh, nations of the world to unite, which sounds an awful lot like the U.S. with the atomic bomb. I'm sure that wasn't a coincidence. Right. There were a lot of arguments within the U.S. government that said, maybe we should just show the Japanese that we have an atomic bomb. And if they see it, we don't actually have to use it and kill civilians with it. And the theory that prevailed was, that's bullshit. It, it's no good to have a bomb if you don't prove that you're willing to use it. Yeah. And a lot of people figured, uh, also a lot of people at the time and, and historians since, you know, the Soviets were on the verge of just rolling over China, mm-hmm. which, which Japan occupied. And once they rolled over China, there was nothing standing between them and Japan. Mm-hmm. Right. And if the Soviets had rolled China and then invaded Japan, we could conceivably have had a, like a Korea situation where the Soviets could have had North Korea, North Japan, and we would have had South Japan. Truman took a look at that and said, fuck that. <laughs> We're using the bomb. We want the Soviets to see that we have a bomb, right? Yeah. So Viet has the same sort of like, we can't just tell them we have this. We have to have, have this. And this, this goes back to the reason Dr. Manhattan couldn't see past this sort of singularity moment. It's because it was a psychic thing. Like, yes. And, you know, apparently psychic powers exist in this universe. Yeah. And I would imagine, I don't know much about psychic powers, but I would imagine they screw with quantum mechanics quite a bit. And uh, that's probably why Dr. Manhattan could see past it. But anyway, so Veet actually builds this thing and he actually intends to set it off in, in such a huge release of psychic power in the middle of New York City that it'll kill millions. So Rorschach and um, Night Owl and Silk Spectre, in between having sex with each other, (laughs) not Rorschach, but the other two, decide that they kind of start to figure out that, like, Veet must be behind something. We got to find him, figure out what's going on, right? Veet does the whole Bond villain thing where he tells them the whole plan, lays it all out in intimate detail, and they're like, well, now that you told us what you're going to do, we're going to stop you. Like, you know, like James Bond does. 
<laughs> and he goes, I'm not a Bond villain. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not a Bond. What do you think I am? Goldfinger? I wouldn't tell you my plan if there was any chance of you stopping me. And they're like, well, we will stop you. Believe me. And he goes, you can't stop me because I already did it 35 minutes ago. <laughs> Dude, that was such a thing that was never heard of at that point in time in 1987 or whatever it was. No, Nobody did that. That was just like a jaw dropper moment. It was, Wait a minute. Like last issue, he talked about, you know, activate such and such. We didn't know that's what he was doing. <laughs> it is. It, it's one of those things. The first time, this is one of the things I do remember. The first time I read it, mm -hmm. when he said, you don't understand. I'm not telling you what I'm going to do. I'm telling you what I did 35 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. The first time I read it, I was like, oh, so he set into motion this uh, chain of events that's going to result in millions of people in New York City being killed. Okay, so I get it. The next few pages are going to be them mm -hmm. stopping the chain of events somehow, right? And as I kept reading, I kept I kept reading, and I'm like, well, when are they going to start <laughs> stopping? The Wait a minute. No, he wasn't saying I already did it. Like I've already set into motion an <laughs> inevitable chain of events. No, he meant he already did it. Already happened, and it was. I think it wasn't until I saw the dead bodies in New York city and the weird alien thing at Madison square garden and the giant vagina squid. Yeah. And, and especially the, um, the newsstand guy, the Greek chorus and his little buddy, you know, it, it wasn't until I actually saw them that it hit me. And I was like, you maniacs, you blew it up. Oh, damn you. God. Damn you all to hell! <laughs> Just, they, they, they were all in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Or the right place in the wrong time. Or the wrong time in the right... I don't, wrong place, right time. It's going to turn into a yeah. Dr. John song here in a minute. So then we go back to Dr. Manhattan, Silk Spectre, Night Hour, standing there with Ozymandias, and he's like, I told you. Told you I was going to do it? Yeah. I didn't tell you I was going to do it. I told you I did it. Oh, uh, I, I left a very important part out. So that's why he killed the comedian. Because the comedian figured it out. <laughs> yes. The comedian figured out his plan. And he couldn't let the comedian, like, who worked for the government, you know, who was the very person who, for some reason, was working toward, uh, you know, doomsday. <laughs> Yeah, and as as cynical as the comedian was, he couldn't he just couldn't wrap his head around the fact that somebody would do something so heinous as that. And that's why he cracked. Yeah. Even if it was to prevent, you know, nuclear annihilation, global nuclear thermo thermonuclear war. Um but to your point, I mean, who among us would prevent billions from dying by killing millions? The needs of the few. I mean, Stalin famously said, you know, one death is a tragedy. You know, a million deaths is a statistic. Yeah. So somebody like Stalin would, or, or even Mao would say, yeah, I mean, millions, tens of millions of people might die, but just think of the untold billions who will benefit in the future from what I'm doing here. I mean, clearly Ozymandias is the bad guy. No, we're just, yeah, no, no, no. We're not arguing that, but all of that was to set up this next point, which is <laughs> even before... Night Owl and Silk Spectre can really significantly react. 
Ozymandias has all the news channels on it. Nowadays, it would mm-hmm. be CNN, ESPN, ABC, ESPN. But mostly BS. <laughs> but they're all talking about like, okay, the Russians have, you know, stopped advancing in Afghanistan. They've offered to help. They've. It was sort of like 9-11, right? Suddenly, everybody loves everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And it caused the nations of the world to start to, you know, come together. And Manhattan and Silk Spectre are going, and, and Night Owl are going, okay, well, obviously, we can't reveal the secret because we re- reveal the secret of who was really behind this and why this really happened you know that it's a fake it's not really an alien <laughs> the nations of the world will just go back to fighting each other again right rorschach meanwhile the dick says i might be a dick but i'm a principal dick <laughs> and he's like i can't let that i'm i gotta go tell somebody and starts to run. Of course, they're in, where are they, Antarctica or? Antarctica, yeah. Antarctica, so. I, I honestly think his twisted principles or whatever wouldn't allow him to let it go. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that he he knew he was walking out into the Antarctic. He knew he was not going to make it. Yeah. But he felt he had to do the right thing. Yeah. He knew he was going to die. Because deep down inside, he knew that as evil as the whole thing was, he, he couldn't give up the, the, the secret and fuck everything back up again. I think that's why he honestly, why he walked out into the Antarctic. So that's one interpretation. Well, that's the beauty of Watchmen, dude. I'll get to my interpretation in a second. But um, what ends up happening is he, he, you know, he's like, no, I got to go tell somebody. He leaves and Dr. Manhattan intercepts him and says, you know, I can't let you do that. I can't let you do that, Rorschach. He's like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) It's just weird. Because it's like fucking Night Owl and... Silk Spectre can't keep their hands off each other. Could you, though? I mean, honestly? It was... The, millions of people were just killed in New York. Rorschach's gonna go reveal who was behind it, which will cause the world to probably go to nuclear war. What are you gonna do? Let's have sex. Okay. <laughs> Funny true story. When the movie came out, like in 08, I think it was, it took a lot of criticism for, like, his musical choices. And I was on this message board. It was this Watchmen message board. And this one guy was just ripping on the fact that the musical choice for when Night Owl and Silk Spectre have sex in the in, in, in Archie. He couldn't. He's like, when I think of sex, the last thing I think of is hallelujah. To which I responded, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame Night Owl. It's like, oh, fuck it. So Manhattan comes back, walks through a wall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Finds Silk Spectre and Night Owl laying naked together. Mm. Then he walks across some water, almost as if to say, oh, yeah, can you do this? <laughs> he flexed a little bit there. <laughs> and then he walks up. He walked up a wall, like through some more walls. And then he just, he and Veet have a little conversation. So I get it. You're saying Rorschach knew he couldn't reveal the secret, right? Mm-hmm. But I go to the last page, and what we have here is um, a couple of journalists, like the, the editor and, and a beat reporter. Mm-hmm. And the beat reporter is kind of like, well, uh, you know, what do you want me to write about? And mm-hmm. the editor's like, I don't care. We just got to fill the pages with something mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever you want. And then we see a journal on a desk which I believe to be Rorschach's journal, the one we've been reading this whole time. And so my question is, mm-hmm. did Rorschach reveal Adrian Veidt's secret in his journal and mail it 
to this newspaper before. To your point, he knew he probably wasn't going to make it out of Antarctica alive, right? So did he mail his journal revealing what he knew? And did he know what Veet... Did he know Veet killed the comedian? And did he know why he killed him? And did he reveal that in this journal? Or was this just one of those moments like, you know, we've talked before about the the business side of Watchmen where, you know, the Moore and Gibbons were supposed to own the rights and there may have been sequels. Do you know what the mark of really good literature is? Yes. People will talk about it long after you're dead and ask these questions. Yeah. Also, I want to point out, if you think Ozymandias, Adrian Veidt, gets off scot-free in this, his last conversation with Dr. Manhattan, he's like, I did the right thing, right? I did the right thing, right? I did the right thing, right? He says, I did the right thing, didn't I? It all worked out in the end. And Manhattan says, in the end, nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends. You've been listening to We've Got Issues. We've Got Issues is written and produced by Paul Schultz and Steve Vinson. Copyright Big Broccoli Studios. Music by Eric Fulmer. For more by Big Broccoli Studios, go to www.bigbroccolistudios.com. Big Broccoli Studios.